I'd like to pray before I begin my message and ask you to bow with me and ask God to help me and to come and make these few minutes in the Word powerful. Father, as we pause now to focus specifically on the truth that you have revealed in your word about your son, Jesus, would you come and make your word healing, make your word restoring, make your word convicting, make your word saving? And I'm sure I couldn't even begin to think of all the needs that were brought into this room of every sort. But you, Father, in your omniscience know everything. Every hair on every head is numbered. And every thought in the deepest recess of every heart is known. Would you be pleased to minister to every need miraculously in ways that I never could have anticipated when I put down on paper the ideas that I wanted to share. Into your hands now, Lord, I commit these moments. Come, meet us as you have already. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you think that the major communications media of our culture, our society... Offer you sober, earnest counsel and insight about the most important questions and issues in the world. I mean, questions like, how can I, as a sinful human being, get right with a righteous God? How can I have peace with my maker When I know I have not lived as I ought to live. Or questions like, is there life beyond the grave? And if there is, is there a heaven and is there a hell? And if there is, how can I be sure that I find life beyond the grave rather than destruction or punishment? Or questions like, Where can the deepest longings of my heart be satisfied? And I don't mean those superficial desires that relate to comfort and prosperity that all the advertisements on TV appeal to. I'm talking about the deep, deep heart cries of the night. Where can I find answers and satisfaction to those deep things in my life? Or questions like, Can I know an omnipotent, all-powerful, great God personally? Can I know him in a way that it would be like walking with a friend? Or questions like, is there a power to love? Is there a power that could come into this world from outside this world that would make people stop doing drugs? Or stealing? Or lying? Or killing or loving power more than they love people? Is there a power available like that? Do the major newspapers, magazines, television shows, radio programs 
help you deal with those things? They don't. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that might be given for this silence. But whatever the reason, the silence is mighty and powerful. Because what the silence does when the real mood makers and idea shapers of our culture say nothing about the most important questions in the world, what that silence does is filter out into the mindset of a culture and create the impression that these things are no more important than whether you like pizza over potatoes. That's basically where religion has been relegated in our culture. It's just a private decision that has no public bearing, is of no great airing time significance. If you get any strokes from thinking about those things, that's your bag. And that mentality diminishes the most important issues in the world to the preference level of whether you like one food over another. And that's destructive to a culture. Pascal, maybe many of you have heard of Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician and philosopher of about 300 years ago, wrote, Man's sensitivity to small things and his insensitivity to the most important things are surely evidences of a strange disorder. Pascal thought, if there is just the possibility that there's a God in heaven, if there's just the possibility that there's a heaven and a hell beyond the grave, then surely all reasonable people will devote immense energy and time to finding out if it's so and getting ready. Surely that would be the case, he said. But what do we find? When we look out over America, I think we find a culture doing almost everything it can not to think about the most important things in the world. We find people like uh, the man on the plane. I came back from Madison Thursday night on the plane and sat down on one of these. You know, they have two seats on one side. And he asked me, are you happy in that line of work? The pastorate? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I said, oh, am I happy? In fact, I think I could be happy anywhere that I knew it was God's will. And he immediately shot back, I'm not a very religious person. Watch it. You might be getting too close here. I'm not a very religious person. And so I said, you know, if there is a God getting right with him, is the most important thing in the world. And he backed off. But now, oh, oh, no, 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 no. He said, let me finish the story. He said, oh, I believe there's a God. And then the conversation faded out. I gave him one of my little brochures, Quest for Joy. I gave him ultimate questions. He said, fine, I'll read it on the way to Vegas. And I believe he will. I mean, he, he, he was quite serious in his conversation. Now, here's what this man represents to me. Millions of people who say two things. 
Oh, I believe in God, but I'm not a very religious person. Oh, I believe there's a physician who could heal me of my terminal disease, but I don't look for him. Oh, I believe there's a lifeboat out there in the dark while I'm adrift to sea, but I don't call out. Oh, I believe there's a treasure buried in the field next door, but I don't sell anything in my life to buy that field. There's a strange darkness that lies across our land. People glibly confessing their belief in God and then having no interest in His things. Millions of Americans. What I want to do this morning is real simple. I want to take those questions that I began with and try to show you from Scripture that Jesus is the answer to every one of those questions. That Jesus is so valuable that my prayer for everybody in this room is that on Thanksgiving morning, in fact, before you leave today, you will say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, namely, Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Now, the first question was this. How can I, as a sinful person, have peace with a righteous God? How can I have my sins forgiven and God's judgment taken away from me? Now, I think everybody in this room would agree, because I've never talked to anybody who disagreed with this, that the Bible is true in Romans 3.23 when it says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. That's just what binds everybody in this room together. Whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a secular person or an atheist, every one of us in this room has sinned. However you define sin, that's true of all of us. I know it's true for me. Most of you, I think virtually all of you, would have to, in your most honest moments, say that your conscience bears witness to the truth of the Bible when it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. I think our consciences testify we're going to have to reckon with our Maker someday for how we've lived. And therefore, there ought to rise to the top of our concern. How can I get my sins forgiven and get right with this God so when I meet him, he's smiling? That's the most important question I can think of. Now, let me tell you a story about Jesus that gives an answer to that question. It's told in Mark chapter 2, and he was uh, there in a house. He was teaching, and he had the power to heal, and a paralyzed man was brought to him. They ripped open the roof and put him down inside, and Jesus looked at his faith and the faith of those who brought him, and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, were sitting there, and they said, this is blasphemy. Why does he speak thus? Now, let me ask you this. Why did these leaders say that was blasphemy? Let me create a situation here. I'll pick out Tom Steller here because he's the most merciful maybe among these guys here. Tommy. <laughs> Suppose I were to just with no provocation at all, walk up to Tom Steller and just smash him right in the left eye, break his glasses and cut his face. No reason at all. And before he could get up off the ground, you step in and say, wait a minute, this is awful. I've got to settle this. I've got to take care of this. And you look at me and say, John, I want to know, I want you to know that I forgive you for hitting Tom Steller. There now, it's all right. Tom, you just shake hands with John. It's all right. Okay? 
Now, what would Tom do at that moment? Tom would say, what are you doing forgiving him? He hit me. If anybody's going to forgive this guy, I've got to forgive him. And that's why they said, this is blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Teacher from Nazareth, you come into this room and just say, your sins are forgiven. What do you think sins are? Sins are against God Almighty. Who in the world do you think you are? And you know what Jesus said? He said very calmly, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Boom. And then he healed the man to bear witness to his authority from God. The reason it was not blasphemy is because Jesus is God. You see, you, you and I have to read a text like that and we face this choice. Either Jesus is a Jimmy Baker or he's God. And you can choose. That's the choice we're all put before. Every time we read the Bible, we say either this guy is a trickster and a liar or a deceiver going around forgiving sins in the name of God or he has the very authority of God. And so I commend to you this morning that the answer given by the Bible, verified by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is that He is the answer to how to get right with God. If you know that you're a sinner, like I know that I'm a sinner, and you don't want to meet an angry God, but a smiling God, then you take His Son and you say, Would you use your authority to pronounce forgiveness upon my sins, because I'm now trusting in you and not myself anymore. That's the answer, I think, to question number one. Question number two. How can I know that beyond the grave there will be life and joy and not a fearful prospect of judgment? I not only want my sins forgiven here and now, I want to I wanna live forever. And I want to be happy living forever. I do. And oh, how little concern there is. About three or four weeks ago, I was, uh, I don't know if I should say this with all these visitors here, but I was serving two days in jail for uh, my involvement in a rescue because I'm so pro-life. hope that doesn't hurt you too bad. But I had a great experience. I talked with a man who was a nurse for about 45 minutes, and uh, boy, did I learn something there again about concern for eternal life. I said to him, as we were drawing our conversation to a close, I didn't want to close it, but he closed it pretty quick when I got to this point. He's outside the bars. He could walk away, and I was inside. He said, uh, I asked him, I said, you know, There's nothing more important than being ready to meet God when you die, is there? And he laughed. And he said, oh, I'm sure that I'll just get there to the gate and God will point me the other direction. (laughs) Just joked. Just joked. And I said, look, it doesn't have to be that way. And as soon as I said that, in other words, I was moving into an offer to him that I find in Scripture. He just backed away. You don't have any medical needs? See you. And took off. We don't, by and large, as a culture, see the importance of eternal life. We, we work real hard to keep death out of our mind. 
and what is beyond the grave out of our mind. But the Bible is just crystal clear. There is a heaven and there is a hell beyond the grave. Both of them last forever. And where we spend eternity, we will choose here in this life and no other time. Can you see how how much seriousness life has if that's true? And the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. That means go to hell, but will have everlasting life. And that means enter the kingdom of God. And live with him in joy forever and ever, just by believing. So, again, Jesus, the the inexpressible gift of God, thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift of Jesus, is the answer into eternity. If you believe, you will have eternal life. Third question. How can I have the deepest longings of my heart satisfied? And again, I don't mean those superficial desires to which all the advertisements appeal. I mean the things you wake up in the middle of the night longing for, the things that cause you to shudder with longing for when the relationship is coming apart or at a graveside or when you're sick or something, when, when something deep down of you has, in, inside of you has been really touched and the longings are rich and deep and authentic, the kind of thing that TV advertisements never refer to. What's the answer for those things? Gary Gaetti, uh, and the reason I use this illustration is because uh, at Prayer 89 a couple of weeks ago, he, he was among those who prayed, and he was sitting you know, two people away from me, and, and we prayed for three hours. So I listened to Gary Gaetti pray. I couldn't help but hear him because he prayed so loud in the group next to me. So I listened to this guy pray, this third baseman for the twins. And then I got this little track that he wrote, and uh, he said in the track, that uh, the winning of the World Series as third baseman for the Twins was the peak of his career. It was fame. It was fortune beyond any of his dreams. And then he wrote this. Then in 1988, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord of my life. Believe me, friend, the World Series was great, But nothing compares to the thrill of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus and knowing you have your name written in the record books of eternal, everlasting life. And the phrase I want to focus on just to illustrate this point is nothing compares with the thrill of having Jesus as your personal savior. The World Series was a great thrill. In fact, there's no denying the world offers tremendous thrills to us. And many of them are not evil. But most of them are detracting from the deep satisfaction that we all long for at the deepest moments of our lives. And Gary Gaetti is just one among thousands of people who have discovered that Jesus Christ satisfies our longings. And the reason is because the appetites of the human soul are designed by God for God. And therefore, the effort to feed these appetites with only the world that God made will always leave one with hunger at the end and no satisfaction. And what we need to hear is the voice of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst, which I think means simply this. 
Everybody in this room is on a quest for the fountain of joy. Not just a joy here and a joy there. You want the fountain. That is, you want a joy that will keep coming up with more joys and deeper joys and everlasting joys. Anybody who says, I only want this much joy and after that I don't care if I suffer, is a liar. You want everlasting joy. And I can offer you on his own authority, Jesus Christ, as the fountain of everlasting joy. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes on me will never thirst. That is, you'll never have to look for another fountain once you come to Jesus. Gary Gaetti discovered it. I've discovered it. Hundreds of people in this room have discovered it. And it's true. He's there to satisfy the deepest longings. Of our heart. Our search is over when we find Jesus. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Two more questions. How can I know God personally? Can I have a relation with him now that's personal and like a friend, just like I love these guys sitting here, my colleagues in the ministry? Can I get that close to the almighty God? And the reason I felt like asking that question yesterday is because did you read on the front page of the Tribune what I read about this new great wall of galaxies that these two Harvard professors have now mapped out and discovered? How many of you saw that in the newspaper? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you didn't, so I'm going to tell you what they found. They discovered that uh, the universe is shaped like soap bubbles. Isn't that impressive? And uh, the kind of core of this bubble is uh, that there is a, a wall, they call it a band of galaxies, 500 billion light years across. Now, I, when I read that number, I said, oh, what a number! I want to know what that number means. So I got out my my uh, uh, dictionary and looked up light year. You know how long a light year is? I bet a lot of you do. I didn't. A light year is six trillion miles. Okay? So I multiplied six trillion times 500 billion. And I got, uh, this kind of math I think I can handle, I'm not sure, I got three billion trillion miles. I might have said something wrong there. I'm not sure. You read the paper and get it right. It's big anyway. Um, Now, I like it when astronomers find things like this. You know why? Because I enjoy having a big God. And the bigger the universe gets, the bigger my God gets. Because God spoke those galaxies into existence. And Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 1, holds them in being by the word of his power. But there are a lot of people who, when they hear that kind of magnitude and that kind of distance, say, you can't know a God like that. He's too far away. He's too big. There's no hope of anything like a personal relationship With him. Jesus said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, without him was not anything made that was made. And then he said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, and we have beheld his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father. God knew that we couldn't relate to his magnitude by itself. And therefore, God, in a miraculous incarnation, took flesh upon himself in his Son and came among us. Jesus is the human face of God. And he said to Philip, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And therefore, Jesus is the answer to this question. Can you have a personal relation with a God that big, that far away, that magnificent? And the answer is yes. Because that God has traversed the trillions and trillions of miles to be one of us, to hold our children, to heal our diseases, to forgive our sins, to meet our needs, to touch us and care for us. Jesus Christ, just open, open the Gospels and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you will know God in Jesus Christ and with him. You can have a very personal relation. When I get up early in the morning, I go to the Bible and I open it and I say, God, I want a conversation with you. I don't want anything artificial here. I want to hear you and I want to speak to you. I want you to be my friend. I want your hand on my shoulder and your heart in my heart. And then I read the Bible because it is the word of the living God. And he speaks to me. And sometimes he takes things out of that Bible so personally and says, this is my word to you. This is my word to you. Yesterday, that word was, he who endures to the end will receive the crown of life. It was as though Jesus stood forth in my room and put his hand on my shoulder and lifted my chin and said, he who endures to the end, John, will receive the crown of life. You can know him just as personally as you know your closest friends. One last question and I'm done. Is there a power to love? Is there a power that can get people to stop doing drugs and stop killing and stop hating and stop lying and stop stealing that might turn our culture and our society around, that might give some hope in dark families and dark jails and dark places? The Apostle Paul gives an answer, and then I'm going to close with a story that I heard down in Madison that gives an answer. The Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you know Paul from reading the Bible, he lived a life of incredible love and sacrifice and joy. And so his answer would be, yes, there is a power to love. And it is the power of the living Christ coming into me by faith in his promises. When you trust his promises, Christ comes in and becomes the power to do things you never dreamed you could do. Let me tell you a story in closing. And this was an answer to your prayer. I wondered, why am I going down here to these board meetings in Madison when I've got to prepare for this great service we're going to have on the 19th? And the answer was, i got some things to show you in Madison that you can share with those people. I sat down over lunch on Wednesday with James Ford, a black pastor, pastor of South Shore Baptist Church in Chicago. 
Now, I'm real concerned about the black community, especially in the number of dadless homes. To me, it's like a walking time bomb. All these little boys growing up in homes where dads are gone. And so I asked him point blank. I said, Jim, did you grow up in a home where there was a dad? And he said, uh, no. I didn't. I was the oldest of ten kids, and we grew up in downtown Pittsburgh on welfare. I never saw my dad. My mom told me he was dead when I was four. But then when I was 19, she said he was alive in jail in Tennessee. And before I ever knew him, he was killed in Tennessee for selling bad drugs. And I swore, John, I swore that if I ever had a son, I'd never leave him. Never. He grew up, went into the service, and started doing drugs. Got put in jail for it, and then let out. Got married when he got out, had a son, and named him Jay. Jay grew, and he told me that he and his wife used to do drugs, and they'd get the little kid in front of him and blow smoke into his face. So he'd do funny things. Make him high, trip all over the floor, and they'd laugh at him. He had a job in a crane factory, and he would sell drugs there, and his wife started to play around on him, and he decided to kill her and kill the guy that she was fooling around with. And two things happened to stop him from doing that. One day at work, he was uh, leaning over, um, I forget just how he said it, and a crane started to fall and tip on him, and, and a guy named Ray Reno who had two strikes against him as far as Jim was concerned. He was white and he was southern. Saved Jim's life and pulled him out. So Jim was willing to give him two seconds. And the only testimony this Ray, who happened to be a Christian, wanted to give was he just looked Jim in the face and said, Bo, whatever your problem, Jesus is the answer. Walked away. That's all he said. That afternoon, his brother talked him out of killing his wife and said, Look, why don't you just leave her? Just leave her. You're getting big trouble. You don't want to get yourself shot. So, and at this point, he smiled at me and said, You can't believe how corrupt I was. He said, I'll spend one more night with her. And I'll leave her. So I went home. They were sitting on the couch, smoking, getting higher in a kite. He said... He was using something called uh, Columbia Gold, laced with embalming fluid. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. it. Sounds awful to me. But he said they were both high, and all of a sudden, God moved. His wife said, what about Jay? He said at that moment, the high went out of him. He could feel it. It started right here, and it drained straight down his face, down his neck, through his chest, and out the bottom of his feet. And the first thing he did in front of his wife was hit the floor flat on his face, saying, God, don't kill me. God, don't kill me. Because, he told me, I knew I was rotten. And at that moment, I knew God was real. 
And those two things, my sin and God's power, scared the hell out of me. And I was on my face. God, don't kill me. God, don't kill me. And he didn't kill him. He healed him. And the next day, this guy was on fire. He went off to work. Everybody saw it work. God's real. God's real. And they thought he was absolutely crazy. And the boss told him, get out of here until you get yourself straightened out. And on his way out, he saw Ray Reno up on a scaffold. And he looked up at him and said, Ray, God is real. And Ray came a-tumbling down and gave this big guy, and he's big, he's big, this big guy a hug. And then he reached in his pocket, pulled out his New Testament. He said, let me show you what happened last night. And he showed him Jesus Christ, talked to him about the new birth. Probably the thing that moved me most about this powerful work of God was that Ray Reno said, we got to have a Bible study. I'll come in every Thursday afternoon and uh, to your place and we'll have a Bible study. Now, he lived in, in a drug-dealing inner-city neighborhood, and Ray lived out in the suburb, and he drove in every day. And one day, Jim said, my old buddies have seen me flush the stuff down the toilet, but they think you're a narc, and they're going to kill you. They said, if you keep coming in here and me, so maybe you better just stop coming. And Ray Reno's response was, he called himself a ridge-running hippie from Tennessee. He said, Bo, if Jesus was willing to shed his blood for me, I'm willing to shed my blood for you. Now, the answer to the last question then is, Yes, there is a power in the world, or better, from outside the world. James Ford has been a pastor for eight years. He's got three sons now. His marriage is good and solid, and I love the guy. He sat on the mission board with me. He's just full of wisdom and full of power. What a story he has to tell. And if we took hours here, there'd be hundreds of you who could tell stories of how God met you and enabled you. To love. And so I just close by summing up with these words. Is there a power to love? Is there a way to have sins forgiven? Is there eternal life? Is there a satisfaction for deep longings? Can you know God personally? And the resounding answer is yes. And my prayer for every person in this room is that you might see Christ in new ways. I mean all of us. I'm talking about every person in this room. We all need to see Christ in new ways. Here's the way we're going to close the service. In just a moment, we're going to worship the Lord for a few minutes in song. But in your folders, there are two of these cards, just so that there'd be enough to go around. Now, we designed these cards so that something on here would apply to everybody in this room. These cards are not for any particular group of people. They're for everybody. And therefore, I hope that you would reach for a pencil that's on the book there in front of you. We tried to spread pencils around. I know that there weren't any up in the carousels, but perhaps our ushers could make some available if you need pencils. And put your name and address on here and then prayer requests. Or you'll notice there are places that ask for help in your spiritual life or more information about our church or You could write on the back something you'd want to communicate. My sense is is that God has been speaking to many of you 
and will speak now as we worship. As you just bow your head and worship the Lord, he's going to speak to you about what I've been saying. And just open your eyes to new things about God and about his son that make him precious. And before we sing, I would like to bow in prayer. And then I'll come back in a few minutes and tell you when you can pass these cards to the aisles and and have the ushers take them up. So let's bow in prayer. Father, I praise you for your unspeakable, inexpressible gift, Jesus Christ. What a power he has. What a love he has for us. He can meet the needs of every heart in this room. And so I pray that every person would see him in new ways, that we would love him in new ways and respond to him in new and fresh and deeper ways and welcome him as Lord and Savior into our lives. Lord, you minister now as we sing together to you. Come and enable us to be honest with you and to get right with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.